0: Welcome to the Rodcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rod. My guest today is an Australian-British doctor uh, currently based in Sydney. He is a uh, well-experienced traveler and photographer, having done some amazing shots in Afghanistan, India, China, Pakistan, a cycle denial was also uh, deployed uh, with the Navy, unfortunately went into medicine at some point, but luckily that didn't stop him from seeing and traveling the world and doing extremely exciting stuff. I'm very happy to have today Dr. Mark Parrish. Mark, welcome to the Rodcast.
1: Rod, thanks. I, I feel honored to be here. I also feel, you know, I'm really a bit of a fraud on your program because obviously having listened to your other broadcasts, you have terribly eminent people who have published books and papers and done research and are well known in their field. And I'm really none of those. But I suppose if there's one thing that I'm I'm really keen on, it is that what I have found, and part of this is sort of I have found, and also I suppose I have helped this happen, is that you know you can combine or I have been able to combine my interests in photography and travel and adventure with medicine. So for me, health has always been my constant, but I've managed to do a lot around that. I'm a bit unusual in that respect. And, and I remember going back to a medical school reunion some years ago, which I was really looking forward to because I thought, gosh, you know, it's decades since I saw these people who I was at medical school with. And I've kept in touch with a few, but not that many. And it will be really interesting to talk to them and see what they've done. But what I realized after a brief time was that I had gone in a very different direction to many of my friends and colleagues at medical school. And after the initial almost freshers week chat of you know, how are you, what are you doing, family, kids, wife, husband, divorce, job, all these things, I, we sort of ran out of things to stay because I had had a completely different career structure to them. I don't think that's necessarily a a bad thing. Well, it hasn't been a bad thing for me, but I suppose the message is that in medicine, medicine is a great foundation and it gives us this, or it gives me this feeling that, you know, for any job I do, I want to make sure I make a difference and that difference can be in many different ways and it can also to some extent as much as I can try to link in with other things that I'm interested in
0: and and what do you think can you remember what was was first did you did you always want to do medicine and then started finding your your passions like in photography and and travel or, or was it you already knew what you you loved and then um for some reason got into to medicine?
1: I think if I was really honest, Rod, I would say the medicine was, I mean, not coincidental, but um, I could never hand on heart say uh, throughout my life, you know, from primary and secondary school, I sort of felt I really wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to make a significant difference. None of my family is in healthcare um as far as i'm aware i'm I'm adopted i don't know my blood parents um but my parents who uh, brought me up and not in healthcare. Uh, for me medicine was something that interested me and at school it interested me if i remember this was a long time ago it interested me from the scientific aspect of it and yet the more i do of it And look, I wouldn't say I do a lot of clinical medicine now, but the more I did of it at the time, you realize, don't you, that medicine is much more an art than a science. And I'm, you know, I have a a particular interest in photography. I've always been a keen photographer. And I suppose for me, it's that arts side, which as I get older, (laughs) I'm quite old now, as I get older, that arts side, is of more and more interest to me. And I just wonder if that's part of the reason why I was interested in medicine a long time ago, but I, I was thinking of it in a different way because it was more a, a science, you know, biology, physics, chemistry view of, of things, which is why I chose it as a subject. And I would, I would never get into medicine now, Rod. I mean, when I, when I, I went to this reunion, I was amazed. I, I was at university at Birmingham. You know, I mean, they're asking for sort of like three A's and A pluses, and you have to have worked in 16 different healthcare reviews and done a whole lot of charity work and everything else. And I would never have done it. But for me, the great thing about Birmingham was that they interviewed all potential students before they gave them an offer. It was one of the few universities that did that. And I went along for an interview, and I was interviewed by this great guy, Roger Lee, who's an anaesthetist, very eccentric man. And he sat you down around the board table with a bunch of fellow people and just asked you a range of questions, just asked you what you were interested in, what you had done, um, some quirky questions. And then they made a decision on that based on whether they're going to give you an offer. And I had just come back from, yeah, amazingly enough, a school expedition to Afghanistan. You know, not many schools go to Afghanistan on an expedition. I thought we might go to Iceland and we went to Afghanistan. So that was a good topic to talk about. And I think for them, they thought, OK, this guy might be a bit different. We'll give him an offer. And I was fortunate I got the offer and I did medicine. I really enjoyed it. So one of, one of the advantages, uh, I suppose I'd done this trip to Afghanistan and then I went to medical school and, and, and I continued to try to do this adventure in that. Coming to the end of medical school, I was invited to go on an expedition to far west China, to Xinjiang, Xinjiang, an area that is, you know, very much in the news now with the Chinese oppression of the Uyghur Muslim population. And we were the first expedition, actually, we were the second expedition to go into Xinjiang. Uh, Chris Bonington had had an expedition to Mount Konga the previous year. And we were the second expedition to go there and to climb some of the mountains there. And uh, I really didn't know whether I was going to be able to go on this trip because it was going to take up. Three and a half months of 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 my medical school. I went. To, I went. I remember going along to the dean, and just saying, "Look, I've got this opportunity. I just don't know whether it's going to be possible or not. But I'd really like to do it and go on this trip." Um, and the dean just said, "Well, you must do it." you must absolutely do it. This is the trip of a lifetime and you must just drop down a year at medical school and you could graduate with the year below you. And I looked at him, though, sort of aghast and my jaw dropped and I said, wow, I never knew you were gonna say that. And in, in the end, he gave me six months off and I dropped down a year and it was fantastic. And at the time I was in the Navy, I just joined the Navy as a cadet. Um, again, I was interested in I wasn't sure what I wanted to do at medical, after medical school, but I thought joining the military would be good and interesting. And there would be a bit of excitement and adventure and the Navy had just accepted me as a cadet. And I, I contacted the Navy and said, look, I I've got this opportunity to go to China for three months. I'm not sure whether I can do this, you know, with official secrets acts and all of the other security concerns. And the Navy said, oh, you must go, you must go. Uh, we just like you just to write a little report when you've come back. I said, okay, okay, great. So you'll just stop my pay for that. No, no, we'll keep paying you. We'll keep paying you as a cadet because it's very important. And you just think, you look back on this, you think, wow, this is tremendous. I was very, very fortunate. And that and other things has really, I think, given me a basis on which to build a healthcare career.
0: Mm. But... um... I mean, it's not surprising that after they interviewed you, they they said, "Yeah, yeah, we we want you in medicine," because I think one of one of the things you're great at is is communication with communicating with with others, and um, I really remember when we were in Barcelona and and we were at a conference and and um, and you mentioned you. you you had an objective for the for the next couple of days, uh, which was going to be your role, and you said, "I'm I'm going to talk to at least three people uh, every day uh, here." And I've 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 tried to do that. I think it's it, it's uh, it really forces you out of your comfort zone, and and you really meet some some interesting, really fascinating uh, people. I mean, would you say that that skill is something you've you've always had um, sort of just you know being able to to converse and and chat with with anybody?
1: no not not what I've always had it's It's part of my upbringing, I think from my parents, and then maybe you know school and university after that, and then the the military teaches you this but my dad and you know my dad a great guy one of the things he always said to me was look mark um you know talk less listen more everybody has a story and he's absolutely right you know in medicine we are taught to ask open questions aren't we and just sit there and to be comfortable with a bit of silence and just wait for people to open up And it always amazes me that when you do this and you just drop in a few things, what you can learn about people and how interesting and different they are. They've all got a story. But I think a lot of us, it takes a while to get there. You need to be comfortable in yourself to have that type of conversation. And then you need to be inquisitive about others and ask them an open question. Tell me something that you know I wouldn't necessarily know about you. Who would you like to invite to a dinner party if you had five people you could invite? They could be historical people, as well as you know people who are dead now, as, as well as those that are still alive. Why would you invite them? What are your interests? It's surprising what you get out of them.
0: Well, I'm sorry. We, we simply can't glaze over that one. You, now you have to say you're, you're five people. <laughs> My
1: five people. Um, I would invite. Uh, so one of my heroes is Sir Ernest Shackleton. Um, my first ship in the navy was HMS Endurance, named after Shackleton's Endurance. I would be fascinated to have him around the dinner table. Another one is Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who built the Great Western Railway. I think he's just the most phenomenal engineer. I don't think either of these individuals are easy people. I think you know, one looks upon them. But I don't think they'd be easy to talk to. Another one would be Ella Fitzgerald, the jazz singer. I think she's a a wonderful, interesting person. Another would be Delia Smith, the cook. Uh, I've always been just interested in her. And look, she owns a football team as well. So it'd be fascinating to have her. And then my fifth one, I, I often wonder, okay, fifth, who would I go for? And it's easy to go for you know well-known indiv- individuals because they're so fascinating when you read about them. But there are lots of different people, and as I, I sort of toss this one up, I would probably go for Queen Victoria. I, I think you know there she was reigning at such an interesting time of the empire. Uh, it would be just. If you could get Victoria and she could, you know, be a little less formal, I think it would be fascinating. So, that, I mean, there's five. Look, we all have five. Do you have five you would have?
0: Ooh, five's a lot. I don't know if I've thought yeah. that Yeah, you've got far. to think about that. About yeah. two then. Go for two. Um, yeah, I think I I would definitely pick my, my – um, I think my grandparents, because um, I, I, they they passed away when I was very young, and um, and you just you know you, you hear so many stories uh, about yep. them um, yep. that I I'd be I'd be really interested. My, my grandfather on my on my mom's side um, was a, a very interesting um, character. He he worked for. Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture, and you know, in his in his studio, there's a bunch of photos of him with like ex presidents and all this stuff. And um, I recently was sent a recording by my my cousin of some tapes where he um, was singing. Uh, and uh, so he was, and he, I mean, he wrote a book. Um, he traveled to Japan and uh was the first to import you know hydroponic uh greenhouses cuz he was uh he was an engineer agriculture engineer so so yeah i think that would be a, a an interesting one um similarly i i i at a similar age yeah uh lost my my grandfather my on my dad's side um but um but yeah uh, uh, apart from that i i always thought maybe um one of the the figures of of I mean really any religion, whether it would be you know Buddhism, taoism, um, Catholic church yeah. uh, it'd be it'd be interesting to talk to one of these one of these yeah. Uh, individuals um, yeah because uh, yeah, I mean I think there's there's probably very little we we know about them, especially as as uh as people um which you know got lost in translation over the years
1: yeah yeah very much so you're right it's interesting what you say about your grandfather and you know recordings and stuff of his because my dad and so my dad served in the second world war he was a navigator Um, and he as so many of them they never talked about what they did and he never did or you could wheedle it out of him and i wish i'd managed to talk to him more about this stuff because when you look at you know his scrapbooks and his logbook you know so he did his flying training in south africa and wanted to be a pilot but halfway through was told look there are too many pilots we don't have enough navigators so you're going to be a navigator parish so he did his navigator training came back to england on a on a ship halfway up in the middle of the atlantic his ship was torpedoed he spent nine days in an open life raft picked up by, I know, by a Royal Navy destroyer, brought back to Africa, then back to England, started flying, flew medium-sized bombers, Mitchells over Germany, Um, survived, married my mum, got through four best men, four of his best men died before he found the fifth best man to survive to be at his wedding. I mean, you just think that's amazing that that this happens. And then on D-Day, flew over the channel on d-day and i have this amazing recording because in his aircraft the bbc put um one of their team to record a piece to be broadcast on the news later on that day because they took off early in the morning very early in the morning and there's this amazing recording and they must have been cutting this on those wax discs that they used at the time and it's this very plummy english voice of this air commodore who used to record stuff for the bbc and you can hear these engines in the background of the plane this this roar in the background of this chap saying and here i am we're over the channel and i can see the ships approaching the normandy coast and i can see the troops landing on the normandy coast you think bloody hell this is like d-day this is describing and then it goes on he says and oh, we're about to dive we're just going to dive and bomb a railway marshalling yard i'm told i'm not allowed to record this but by golly i think i will keep recording oh my goodness we're going into this dive and you hear this noise of the engines increase and you just think my God, my dad is in this plane. You know, he's the navigator bombing. And of course, you don't know. You don't know this otherwise, unless you get it. When you hear it, you just think, "Geez, what these people did." And and it comes back to this: everybody has a story. Now, I accept being to the Second World War, you have a particular a particular story. But even if you haven't been in war or something, everybody has an interesting story, and it's it's well worth getting it out of them. That's what I find interesting about people. I mean, that's what I found interesting about medicine. I don't do clinical medicine anymore, but I remember doing general practice. Just fascinating, being talking to people about their stories. My clinics actually overran a bit. Um, because you'd eventually get around to the diagnosis. You, well, you'd eventually get around to the diagnosis, wouldn't you? Like, you know, they will tell you the diagnosis if you ask them enough, story, enough questions. Um, but they will tell you, and that's what I find fascinating.
0: I, I found it really interesting that you said that um, you thought you developed, you know, the ability to, to have these conversations throughout life and, and part of that was, I guess, uh, sort of the military training. I was watching recently, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that, there's a show called uh, SAS that came out. Um, and one of the things I found really interesting was that they really made the point that, that in the British military, the individuals are, are very well educated, I guess a certain class uh, structure compared to, I would say, the, the rest of the world in, in my experience. So if, if you go to the U.S. and Mexico, you wouldn't necessarily have individuals with you know, degrees at Ivy Leagues going into the military. Um, it's usually individuals that you know. In the U.S., they had this scheme where it, you could use the army to pay your debt, your college debt. Um, so it was it was kind of the opposite. Um, whereas it seems in the British military, it's it's very well spoken individuals. Um, I mean, how how if if you could maybe get into how how you think the, the training element, or was it just circumstantial? Um, in the sense that that um, you learn that conversational aspect,
1: it's it's a bit like anything. I think it's a bit of nurture and a bit of nature. Rod, um, I think the so the British military, and I would say certainly the British Army, still has that very class system, and you know there are families that always go into a particular regiment and follow their parents and their grandparents into that regiment. less so maybe in other services less so maybe in the navy and i didn't i didn't find it in in when i was in the navy and i think in the navy i was as a medical officer in the navy you are particularly privileged you know you wear gold stripes in amongst your sorry, you wear, you wear red stripes in amongst your gold stripes and those red stripes they give you this sort of force field around you where people will give you a fair amount of leeway because they say, oh, he's just a doctor. Don't worry about that. But that's good because it allows you to speak to the whole of a ship's company on a very different level. So you are almost like the chaplain or the Padre. And they will come and obviously they will confide a whole load of things in you that they wouldn't necessarily do so to their divisional officer who is the person that looks after them. And I found that fascinating. But the the other wonderful thing about, for me, it was the Navy was that it exposed me to just this whole range of different people with different backgrounds and different interests and, you know, different histories that if, you, if you're a doctor or a nurse or, you know, you don't necessarily see this because you spend all of your time in the healthcare system, how you'll see them as patients and you may see some of them as colleagues. But you may not see them to that level, and that's what I found so fascinating. And you would just see a whole range of individuals um, with a fascinating number of backgrounds who you could talk to. And I think I just started to realize, wow, all these people are really interesting. You know, they have really interesting stories themselves that is worth understanding. So for me, I think it was a little bit of training to do that. And a little bit of self-understanding that, you know, that's that's me, and I'm interested in people, and I'm interested in what makes them tick and what their background is, and I just love that. I love that military, very dry sense of humour. When I joined my first ship, HMS Endurance, um, I mean, I was just you know, straight out of internship, and I was sent this just amazing letter on beautiful thick almost parchment type paper beautifully written you know dear sir i have the honor to appoint you to her majesty's ship endurance to date wopity wop wopity wop um i have to request that you contact the commanding officer and join the ship of Portsmouth dockyard i have the honor to be so your obedient servant it's a very formal letter i've still got it so i went down to portsmouth in my car and i didn't tell the ship knew i was coming but they didn't know when i was coming and i rocked up at the dockyard and i looked for the ship and i found the ship Parked the car, and I and I I was in civilian uniform. I wasn't in I wasn't in civilian mean, was clothes. I wasn't in uniform, to be honest, because I still wasn't quite sure how to put all the <laughs> uniform on. Uh, and I'd driven down in in a car, and you weren't allowed to wear uniform in in outside the military establishments. And I walked on board the ship, and at the the last minute, as I was walking up the gangway, I suddenly remembered, oh god, you got to salute the quarterdeck. So I just remembered to salute as I went as I as I walked on board the ship, come up the quarterdeck onto the flight deck, which is the quarterdeck. And the the seaman, the able seaman sailor who was controlling all of the movements of people on and off the ship from behind his lectern gave me a quick salute. He said, "Um, welcome on board. So you'll be the new doctor. (laughs) I said, "Uh, yes, how do you know? He said, well, sir, three things. Uh, One, um, you're driving the smartest car of anybody on the ship, including the captain. Uh, Two, you're pretty well dressed. And three, you haven't a clue what you're doing when you're joining this ship. I, I hope your medicine is better, sir. Welcome on board. <laughs> and this is like just straight off the bat, you know, no preparation. He just said this. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Because, I mean, that was, just, was my first ship. I had no experience being on a ship before. The first time I'd been on a ship. And I thought, okay, that's quite good. <laughs> you can do that. And so, and that just, it just ingrains you into the ship and into the military or into the Navy that I, that I was in. And I was lucky. It's a bit like any job, isn't it? You know, you, you, and you know, Rod, you know, when you're looking for people, when you're recruiting in any job now, we know when we put an advert out, we will get lots of people that are very well-trained on paper and very capable of doing the job. And you'll go through them and you'll, you'll narrow them down and you'll narrow them down to a few of a shortlist and they'll all have the same skills and qualifications and on paper they could all do the job but when you sit down with them and you interview them you realize the ones that you know are going to be a good fit and the ones that are not going to be a good fit and there's nothing you can never put your finger on that can you you can never say why they're going to be a good fit and they may be a good fit for us but not a good fit for somebody else but you just know that and so for me, I was very fortunate. For me, for me, it was a good fit for me in the Navy. On all the ships I had, I was really fortunate in all the ships that I served on, I served on a number. They were all a good fit. I had a good ship's company, a good group of people that I was with. And you know, in we were away from the UK for nine from England for nine months. We went down to the Antarctic three months in the Antarctic and then back. And this ship didn't go very fast. So we were away for nine months. You're living with people for nine months. On other ships, I was living with them for five or six months, wherever we were. You've got to get on with these people. Uh, And I was fortunate that for me it was a very good fit.
0: And how many people were on each ship? Was it a large crew?
1: It varied. Endurance, we had about 160, and others, frigates, destroyers I was on had up to 300. So, I mean, we're not talking vast numbers of people, but they're all living in quite confined environments. Um, So you've got to get on with them, because if you don't, uh then it can become a real problem you know if you don't get on I mean, again on endurance we were leaving we were about to leave Madeira and of course the doctor is meant to have these sort of supernatural powers and can deal with everything according to the rest of the ship's company you know if there's any problem it's the doctors he can fix it um and I was called by the ship's police officer who's the master at arms uh just before we do to leave Madeira to to come down to one of the other one of the senior sailors cabins where there was a half a chicken carcass uh, which was hammered onto the door of this cabin with a knife just stuck there on the door with a knife and this note written underneath it saying you and me are not going to get across the Atlantic together because our next stop was going to be Brazil and the master arms looked at me and said all right medical officer sir, can you sort this out I said well like uh yeah master leave it with me I'm thinking what the heck do I do here? Like, who is this? So, I mean, eventually I, I found out, well, obviously you could find out whose cabin this was. And then I went along to speak to the individual in the cabin. I said, look, what's going on here? And he told me he'd been having a trouble with actually uh, another member of the ship's company who I then saw. And, you know, you rifle through the medical record and you said, actually, so this guy has a psychiatric history and had recently, you know, been seen, but, you know, cleared, fit to join the ship um found fine but obviously wasn't fine so then i had to get him off and fly him home and and we had to find a replacement um so that's where the fit doesn't work you know quite so well
0: it's it's so fascinating how in many places around the world as as a as a doctor you're seen as is as, um, as more than a doctor but like a, like a real figure in society. So so I remember that they have this saying in Mexico. Essentially in every small town the two most important people are the priest and and the doctor. Um, but yeah, I mean you're you're right. Um, I think you're, you're sometimes expected to deal with issues that have nothing to do with medicine and and were certainly not part of the, the training.
1: Completely. Um, and, and I think we're all used to that. I suppose for me in the Navy, it, it, it did go a bit. Yeah, I mean, I had a variety of other jobs on, on the ship. Like, you know, I was the ship's children's party officer because the doctor must be perfectly good at arranging children's parties whenever you are at a foreign port. Uh, And I got quite good at this until we went to Montevideo in Uruguay. And we had a little system already worked out on the ship by now because this was coming to the end of the deployment. We were heading back to England. And just before we got to Uruguay, we got a a signal, which was a telex. This was in the days before email and things like this describing the ship's visit to Montevideo. And one point was very well made out to us. Note, ship's children's party officer, Uruguayan children do not eat jelly. And, you know, we had just prepared 20 liters of orange and some strawberry jelly for the children's party. I said, let's just like, why did Uruguayan children not eat jelly? But I was expected to deal with this. But on another point, you're right. As, as doctors, we are seen as confidants aren't we and interestingly i have a friend who does a lot of work with the medical defense unions and he deals with you know those of our profession who have had problems and have had complaints raised against them or have had an adverse event and there's been a problem there and what he described to me was what how we have changed in the medical profession Well you're absolutely right rod as you describe in the old days there were sort of two or three vocations there was medicine, there was religion, the priesthood, uh, and there was teaching. And those were your three vocations. And the deal was that if you were in either of those three vocations, you were put on a plinth quite high up in the local community. You were respected and looked up to. Uh, you were a pillar of society. You were well-paid and looked after and respected and treated as a confidant. Of course, that's changed nowadays, and it doesn't necessarily always happen that way. And you know, medicine is not always seen that way. The religion is not always seen that way. Teaching is not always seen that way. And so our colleagues who have been brought up in that who, and who then find it very hard when patients come along with printouts from the Internet, you know, questioning their diagnosis, that, that's difficult for them.
0: I remember a few years ago uh, them announcing that they were changing the year one curriculum at, at some of the medical schools in in the U.S. because they were finding out how ill prepared doctors uh, were, and I think this came off of a, a piece of research that came out showed that the the most poorly read professions was was the medical profession in terms of books outside of, of medicine. So they started to incorporate theology as mandatory in, in year one and in, in a bunch of other stuff. I don't I don't think that's probably gotten to where it needs to be globally. When I was at WHO, we were looking at reforming the medical education, nursing education, all, all the healthcare professional education. Uh, and so part of it was looking at the curriculum and. And that was nowhere in in scope.
1: Yeah, so I think this will – if you go back 60, 80 years, I think our colleagues were – I'm making gross generalizations here. But I think they were maybe slightly more well-rounded, aware of more things outside medicine. I think now – when certainly when I went through medical school it was a very traditional you know you did anatomy you did biochemistry uh, you you did physiology you did pharmacology and then you put all that together and went off to see some patients and tried to work it all out and now we've gone to more problem-based learning which makes sense that makes more logical sense for teaching medicine it is how much are we aware of things outside medicine do we read whatever we read do we read other stuff do we keep up to date with world events do we realize that and do we do it in a way just as we do in medicine where we'll always want to look at the research and the facts underneath it before we make an opinion or do we in anything outside medicine just accept whatever the media tells us or the social media feed tells us of whatever else then we have to be very careful of that um i think that is improving and but i my my I suppose what i always try to do with the team is i think you do need to be aware of other things in your life and have other interests in your life rather than just medicine or whatever it is that you do I, i'm probably at, at risk of being seen to be a, a bit pushy about that because i think it doesn't just make us a more interesting and relevant person, and that's irrelevant to some extent, I think it makes us better clinicians. So for me, um, it's the arts, it's photography, it's a whole range of other things, which I think is important. And it makes me think about things in a different way. Think about, and it comes back to thinking about, okay, health management now, it's like, why is this person or these people, why are they reacting in this way to this? what is it underneath here that's happening why what is pushing their buttons to react in this way if I go back 30 years ago I think I would have just said "Oh, stuff this this is really annoying and I would just got angry I'm better now (laughs) my wife would say I'm better now (laughs) I'm, 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 (laughs) I'm less angry I'm more like understanding and trying to okay so what's going on here what is it that we need to understand here does that answer it it's probably a long and maybe a bit of a random
0: answer. That was perfect. I I think, um, yeah, I think you're spot on and uh, a few countries have tried to incorporate it into higher education and rather than you having one linear career path, you graduate with like three, like places like Sweden, I think you can do like uh, graduate with philosophy and biology and things that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah.
1: Yep, yeah, and you can do intercalated degrees, increasingly you can do intercalated gr- degrees, can't you? Where you do something else in the middle of your medical degree, which is great. And I've got friends who've done stuff, done, done theology, done a language, done ancient Greek, all sorts of things.
0: Same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, listen, Mark, I know you have to go, um, but I just wanted to thank you again for, for sharing your your great stories I, I learned a lot that uh i didn't know about you and um and and for those interested i would highly recommend visiting mark's instagram uh page um it has amazing shots it's it's mark parish photo right
1: yeah that's it Mark parish parish photo parish for two hours yep yep you get you get goes back years as I say on the uh the profile you know no family no food no cats just my photos and I always try and tell a little story with the photos as well because I think it puts them into some sort of context at the moment I'm just doing Nepal um where I went last year it was fantastic uh but then we'll duck back to India in 1980 uh, which was a long time ago and we had a lot of fun there and I'll, I'll continue and it's fascinating just, just reminding myself of that I wrote a diary when I was there and that's been really helpful
0: Oh, there there's some amazing photos in there I really recommend uh, folks to check it out but um, but on on that note thanks thanks again Mark and um, thanks yeah we'll chat soon
1: great stuff take care mate
0: hey thanks for listening folks if you enjoyed that please hit subscribe like and share see you next time